Father, our hearts have a tendency to grow bored with the beautiful, to take lightly the weightiest subjects, to receive eternal truths, but have them make no earthly difference. What an assault on your holiness to casually receive what made your dear son face the cross. This is another Sunday, one of 52 this year, where we could walk in and walk out without it making any difference. Or we could walk in, have you walk us through the text, and have it impact our lives. Have it point out our sin? Have it lead us to repentance? Have it dry tears and infuse strength? Have it feed our souls? Let it be one of those Sundays, Lord. Help the words jump off the page and into our hearts. Help it to clear out wrong thinking. To enable us to think the thoughts of the Bible. Help this text to fuel, to be fuel for praise. Do this among us for the praise of your glory. Dear Sovereign, keep us at all times from robbing you and from depriving our soul of your due worship. Let us never forget that we have an eternal duty to love, honor, and obey you that you are infinitely worthy of this. And that if we fail to glorify you, we are guilty of infinite evil that merits infinite punishment for sin is the violation of an infinite obligation. God, I would rather die than preach this text without the Holy Spirit's power. I am going to do my human best. But I'm depending completely on your spirit to make the book live. During my preaching, would you fill the gaps of my deficiencies? There will be many. And help it to be a demonstration of the power of God. I am handling holy material, precious doctrine, glorious theology. Father, I want to do it justice. I do not want to speak about this glorious theme in a detached, cold manner. Help me not to speak about gospel fire while sitting on an iceberg. Help us to encounter you in the text. This is our corporate plea. Amen. It makes you think twice about where you eat. Our text, I mean. It makes you think twice about where you eat. It's a surreal little narrative stuck in Israel's history. A man dies because he goes to eat at the wrong place. He pays with his life for eating an illicit sandwich. Here's what I have for you from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 11 through 34. The mill, the fall, the lion. The mill, the fall, the lion. The mill will lead to the fall, which will lead to the lion. In order for me to teach this text, I need to show you where we have been 
then show you where we are going. First, where we've been. We must reach back into last week and remind ourselves of the context. The man of God, the MOG, the MOG, the bold prophet, interrupted a church service led by the king. Now, this wasn't your typical worship service. King Jeroboam had set up a golden calf in Bethel. At the very moment, King Jeroboam was making offerings with his hand, throwing incense over the fire, the man of God stormed in and proceeded to unleash a flurry of prophetic rebukes. The king barked, tased that man. And with the very hand that was offering incense and the very hand pointing to God's prophet, it began to wither. Like a burning newspaper, the arm began to char and disappear. The king quickly changed his tone on how he addressed the man of God. Instead of tase that man, he said, tell me please you will pray for my arm. The man of God knelt, prayed to the God of Israel. To demonstrate his power to these calf worshipers, God healed the man's arm instantly. The king, in amazement, opens and closes his hand. Then he asked the man of God to come to the royal table. I will have a feast for you. The best meats, the finest wines, perfectly aged cheese, perfectly baked bread. Come and eat. The man of God responded, it's no way I'm eating with you. God gave me strict instructions. Interrupt your service, lay the law down and bounce. He doesn't want me to drink a drop, eat a crumb while in Bethel. He only wants me to wipe the Bethel dust off my shoes on the way out. This prophet can't be bought. The Lord commissioned him with a dangerous task and without hesitation, he went. And in the moment of temptation, he said no to sin. He could not be seduced by an earthly king's table. Okay, that's where we've been. Now, where we're going. Lions and learning from narratives. Lions and levels of application. Lions and learning from narratives. Lions and levels of application. Lions and learning from narratives, that's where we're going to walk through the text. Lions and levels of application, this is where we're going to apply the text. And apply it on different levels. We will apply the text on the sin level, on the Christ level, on the local church level, and finally, on the redemptive historical level. It all begins... In verse 11. Now, an old prophet lived in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. Let's pause here and identify some characters in the narrative. This is the tale of two prophets. The bold and the old. 
Last week we were introduced to the bold. This week we are introduced to the old. Both prophets, both unnamed, so we're going to have to call them the bold and the old. In our text, their lives converge. In the worship service that the man of God, the bold prophet, interrupted, there were two men present who were PKs. Preacher's kids. Prophet's kids, to be more exact. These PKs ran to their dad's house, it's still the same day, to give him a complete recount of the events that took place. Dad, dad, he busted through the saloon doors like an outlaw. Dad, the king's hand withered. It was flaking off like a dried up leaf. Dad, dad, he knelt and prayed and the king's hand was healed. Interrupting each other, talking back and forth like brothers do. Dad, the king wanted to give him a royal feast, spread a kingly table, but he declined. He said, I wouldn't eat with you if you were the last person on planet Earth. Now, our text reveals this father is an old prophet. And you might think, well, he's in touch with God. I mean, he's one of his prophets. Well, let's look a little deeper. This old prophet is living in Bethel. That's right, Bethel. One of the places where King Jeroboam set up a false religion. Golden calf worship, bovine heresy. The old prophet ministered for a long time. He was a prophet before the kingdom split, before the division. He was a prophet in the United Kingdom. When the split happened, he stayed with Jeroboam, the side that rejected God's Messiah line. Why wasn't he at the worship service calling out Jerry's sin? Why wasn't he rebuking the false religion? God called a southern prophet. Why would he do that if he had a northern prophet right down the street? He had a prophet in the same city as the golden calf. Four times it's told to us that the man of God, the bold prophet, came from Judah. Emphasizing his origin. God had to bring a prophet to Bethel. Because there were no faithful prophets in Bethel. The bold prophet is in the game. The old prophet is on the bench. One prophet is on fire. The other prophet's fire went out long ago. During all the apostasy, this old prophet chose to live in Bethel. He's a Jeroboam sympathizer. He lacked the courage to denounce him. He's a spineless compromiser. And his boys? Why were they at the service? They were worshiping the golden calf. They were practicing a false religion. The old prophet didn't train his boys to be Yahweh followers. He trained them to be bovine worshipers. He neglected his role as a godly father. He speaks in verse 12. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. The PKs give their dad detailed directions. 
They didn't have to pull out a map and trace the journey with their pointer finger. No, they just had to open the front door to the house and, and point. He went down Hugh Hunter Road and took a ride on Fort Campbell Boulevard. He, he was going at a slow pace. He wasn't running out of town. He didn't seem to, to be in a big hurry. You should be able to catch him easily, Dad. Verse 13. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. We don't know why he was so eager to catch the bold prophet. Maybe he wanted to shake the hand of the man who had the courage to stand up to Jeroboam. Maybe he wanted the bold prophet to stay and minister in the northern kingdom. Hey, why don't you move here? Or maybe he wanted to break the hand of the man who made Jeroboam's hand wither. Maybe he wanted to give him a piece of his mind. Were his intentions hostile or friendly? Did he want to give him a slap on the back or a slap in the face? Express solidarity with him or express displeasure with him? Maybe he wanted to say, thank you, brother. Maybe he wanted to say, let's throw down. We don't know the old man's motives yet. We, the, re we the reader, are unsure at this point. But we will not be unsure for long. The old prophet rides off to find him. Don't picture him as an old crippled man. He was old. But he could ride a donkey. Now, I'm not, I'm not into riding horses. Some of you are. Some of you own horses and you go horseback riding. If horses are automobiles, donkeys are go-karts. They don't come with shock absorbers. And besides that, they're stubborn. And it takes a strong hand to control them. This man was old, but he wasn't dead. He wasn't anywhere near death. He could still fend for himself and make things happen. Verse 14. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. Would you mark the word in verse 15, come, and then the two little words, and eat. Come and eat. Apparently, the bold prophet stopped for a break. When the old prophet saw a man sitting under a tree just outside of town, he knew it had to be the bold prophet. The Orientals were known for their hospitality making meals, having people into their homes. Does this old man want to refresh the man of God? Hey, I've got some hot tea, a place to sit and relax. I have a cushioned chair. It will feel much better than that old oak. It's an almost identical speech to what the bold prophet heard before from the king. Come, and eat. It's the same temptation but from a different source. Here we discover the old prophet's game. 
He's trying to get the man of God to compromise, to sin. See, his sons had already told him the whole story. How the man of God said, God commanded me not to eat or drink in this land, to merely preach in this land. The bold prophet answers the old prophet in verse 16. I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat, drink, nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. He said no. <laughs> For the second time and one day he evaded sin. He resisted the subtle whispers. He was faced with temptation, but he did not give in. I'm sorry, I can't do that. I was commanded not to eat a crumb or drink a drop. But this old prophet simply would not take no for an answer. He would not give up as easily as the king. Temptation never stops. It never gives up. It never rests. It never sleeps. It never takes a break. It continually pleads, come and eat. Verse eight, 18. And he, the old prophet, said to him, the bold prophet, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. And then the narrator gives us this. But he lied to him. The old prophet just flashed his own clergy credentials. Look, here's my pastor badge. Here's my seminary diploma. I'm one of you. I'm not a king. I'm a prophet as you are. This isn't a king asking you to come and eat. This is a fellow brother in the ministry. And this apparently made the man of God drop his walls of suspicion. The old prophet could have been a true prophet in the past. I think he was. But here he is a false prophet. We know that because of what God has already revealed. That this younger man of God should not tarry in the north. He is to give the message and leave. See, beloved, this is a classic false prophet strategy. I have a new word from the Lord. It came from an angel that adds credence to it. It's just an extra word but it is conflicting revelation the bold prophet should know this prophecy is false when it clearly contradicts the revealed word of God it contradicts what he already knows to be true there are many lying prophets in our day claiming a new word from the Lord and they all play the Lord told me card False teachers claiming new revelation. Wolves disguised as pastors. You cannot accept the claims of those who say they hear from God and their teaching is contrary to the already revealed word of God. Well, well Kyle, Kyle, bleeding heart voice. Well, Kyle, I feel bad for this man of God, this bold prophet. I mean, he's hungry and thirsty. He's in a desert. 
It's hot. He's exhausted. His defenses are down. Oh, don't feel bad for him. He could have chosen to listen to the revealed word of God. Oh, no, pastor. They, they got caught up in that cult. Well, they could have listened to the word of God instead of that wolf claiming to hear a new word from God. Pastor, he got talked out of Christianity in college. The profs at the secular university got him. Well, he could have chosen to listen to the word of God. We are not defenseless. We have the revealed word of God. We simply must obey it. Sola Scriptura has to be the filter by which we receive information. But, but pastor, the man of God didn't know the old man was lying. How could he know he was a lying prophet? The narrator told us, but he didn't tell the man of God. I agree. Some lies are not easy to pick out. False prophets are subtle and crafty. Yet you are accountable for your choices, even if you were deceived into making those choices. Those who follow a false religion are accountable. You say, wait, but they grew up in it. They were deceived. They were never truly educated. No. You have everything you need to resist the lies of Satan. For those of you who handle the word of God, you teach it. You hold the responsibility of giving it to some group of people. Here's the lesson. Don't mess with God's word. For anyone who handles the word of God, the Lord expects when you say, thus saith the Lord, that the Lord has said. Don't ever use religious words to get your way. There are religious people who know how to manipulate others through religious language and schemes. For this old prophet, the word of God was his profession. And he abused it. Someone said, the disobedience of both prophets stems from the mishandling of the word of God. One of them unthinkingly replaces God's word with the word of a man. And the other pretends that his word is God's. Beloved, men who claim to cherish God's word can be wolves, imitators, faux shepherds. When lies come out of their mouths, remember, God's word is always true. One of the ways you can hate sheep is by petting wolves. When you refuse to identify wolves, you open the flock to their ravaging lies. All right, Christians. Christian, just like this panting prophet, when you are most tired, when you've let your defenses down, when you are near exhaustion, that's when the greatest temptation comes. The bold prophet is also the hungry prophet. And if you listen closely, you not only hear him panting under the oak tree, but also his stomach growling. Don't ever give yourself an excuse for sin. 
no matter how weak you are, you are always strong enough to say no. The Lord promised that. No temptation is above your ability to resist. This man was seduced to sin. Church, here's the principle. You must avoid and disregard the advice of others when it directly conflicts with what you already know is the will of God. Believe the word of God even when your stomach growls. Believe the word of God even when your body fights against it. Believe God's word no matter what others say about it, no matter what others tell you. God says sex is for marriage. But there are other voices, aren't there? God says in Hebrews, commit to the weekly worship gathering. But there are other voices, aren't there? God says you sinned and you need to apologize to your spouse and make that right. But there are other voices, aren't there? Well, he asked for it. You should wait until he comes first. God says, spare the rod, hate the child. But there are other voices, aren't there? Beloved, here's another truth from the text. Temptation can look trashy, it can look cheap, or it can look classy, it can look respectable. The old prophet bore dignity and reverence as he walked and spoke. When he presented the sin, it looked totally different than when the trashy king did. Verse 19, and he, that's the bold prophet, went back with him, that's the old prophet, and ate bread in his house and drank water. Why did he cave to this? Why would he listen to a prophet who lives in Bethel and, and was not there with him calling out the sin in the worship service? The old prophet had no track record of calling out the calf worship. This bold prophet applied no discernment, no prayer. All his filters are lost before the old prophet. If he saw any red flags, he quickly dismissed them. He, he couldn't be fooled by a young foolish king, but he could be fooled by an old retired prophet. A king couldn't get him to fall, but another preacher could. Come and eat. That's what he did. He resisted for so long, but finally gave in. He didn't give in to the royal feast. It was the casual feast. Not the expensive one, but the cheap one. Here's the reality. After a great spiritual victory, do not let up in your fight against sin. After a great spiritual victory, do not let up in your fight against sin. Andrew Bonar said, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. 
This man of God had obeyed 90% of what the Lord had given him to do. He had already faced the strongest temptation, did the hardest work. He was on his way home. He's 15 miles from complete safety. Beloved, you never sit down under an oak with sin. You never rest. You must always be fighting. After a big spiritual victory, you're often vulnerable to another spiritual attack. What's he doing under the oak? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's lowering his guard in enemy territory. And some of you, friends, you enter enemy territory, you make one resistance, and then you sit under the tree and think, my job is done. It might look like this. I handled this very stressful situation at work without blowing up. Then you get home and step on a Lego and it's a volcanic eruption. What happened? You let your guard down. Uh, I did not impulse buy that new truck. But you impulse bought that much smaller thing after. You resist that sexual advance at the office. Then you go home and sin by looking at pornography. One success doesn't guarantee the next. He obeys and then turns right around and disobeys. He avoided the harder sin to resist. He avoided the harder sin to resist. It wasn't the elaborate kingly table that made him fall. It was the poultry one. It was the dollar menu. It was leftovers. We often sin with leftovers. He's from Judah. And he has left Bethel. And he's headed back home to Judah. Bold prophet. You are so close to the border. Is arrest that necessary? He rested rather than rushing home. When is the last time you saw a man in the Bible sitting under a tree? It was Jonah sulking in sin. Might we have some old prophets among us? It may be a middle schooler, a single adult, a wife, a husband. Are you trying to get a Christian to sin? Like the old prophet, come on over here, it's not that bad. It's not wrong, it's just a meal. Live a little. Why are you so strict? Not all Christians are this strict. It's just a little dirty joke. Hey, hey, you go ahead. You talk about your spouse. You talk about your church. You talk about your family. It's not gossip. It's just venting. No one's going to care if you watch this short clip. Hey, let's, hey, let's cover up this sin. Agree not to tell anyone. Okay, church, Christian friends can lead you into sin.
The sin that made him fall didn't come from an outsider, the king. It came in the form of an insider, another prophet. There are people who you think walk with God and they don't. And you are listening to their terrible counsel. You are giving them influence in your life and you will regret it. Verse 20. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. I feel a bit dirty watching this. We are watching him sin. Watching him disobey the God of the universe. It seems innocent enough. He, he is taking a bite of food and then chewing. Where's the sin in that? He sinned with a bite. It was a forbidden meal. Come and eat is an invitation he should have rejected. His sin at the meal was not gluttony. It was not drunkenness. It was a bite. Verse 21. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten, eaten the bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. <laughs> they are eating and drinking and in conversation when suddenly interrupted by a voice. A voice from heaven, a voice from God. For the first time in a long time, the old prophet once again heard the word of the Lord. God gave that old rascal the true word of God. Again, this time, the word of God did actually come to him, and it's a startling and tragic word. It came into his mind. He heard it as clear as day, but no one else did. This is how God communicated to the prophets in the Old Testament. The, the old prophet hears the revelation, then in a panic, spews over the dinner table, I killed you! I killed you! I'm sorry! I killed you! The bold prophet, the man of God, replies in shock, What are you talking about? I killed you. I tricked you. God didn't speak to me originally. I lied about it. He didn't tell me to bring you to lunch. I'm not a true prophet. I used to be, but I compromised. I ran. I, I accepted calf worship. I mean, for goodness sakes, man, I'm living in Bethel. But God just spoke to me. He revealed you are going to die because you disobeyed the clear word of God and listened to me. You ate in Bethel. Now you will die and face the disgrace of not being buried in your ancestral tomb. By God's choice. It's the only way I can explain it. By God's choice, he took the prophet on the bench and put him back in the game. And the one in the game... He put him on the bench. Immediately, conviction strikes the bold prophet's heart. He knows he has disobeyed the clear word of God. He's eaten a sinful meal. 
He fell for the oldest trick in the book. Literally. A meal at the table plunged him into death. He doesn't know it, but this was his last meal. His last supper. Verse 24. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road. And the donkey stood beside it. And the lion also stood beside the body. What a terrible way to die. To be mauled to death by a lion. I remember as a child, my mother telling me that one of the ladies that lived in our town was just killed. She died just hours before my mother had this conversation with me. She was out for a jog, ran past this house with three big dogs. The property was gated. These are million-dollar homes. The property was gated, but they escaped the gate somehow. They came after her and killed her in the middle of the street. It was a horrible tragedy. Lions still prowled the forest around Bethel, and once in a while they accosted a clueless traveler. Solomon wrote in Proverbs about lions being in the road. Proverbs 26. This was not an unheard of occurrence. As the lion steps out of the woods, he faces the man of God, and with a deep roar, like on a mission, he walks toward him. The last thing the bold prophet saw as the lion pinned him to the ground was the teeth. Notice, please, that this event is against nature. And you say, how? Lions kill and eat. That's what they do. Exactly. No normal lion kills a man and then just stands there beside the body. Lions eat what they kill. This is very unlion-like. He's standing over the body keeping guard so that no other lions come and eat. No other scavengers pick at it. It's almost like he was given a two-fold command, rise and kill, then stay in guard. The donkey isn't running away either. The donkey, the bold prophet, was riding. Why isn't the donkey running for his little life? Instead, he's just amicably standing beside the lion. Lions don't stand by donkeys. Lions kill donkeys. The narrator points out exactly what is so weird about this scene. Normally, a donkey would run and a lion would devour. What are they waiting on? Verse 25. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. The corpse lay crumbled in the road. This crazy scene begins to spread throughout the city. Have you seen the lion standing guard over some dead body? Yes, I, I heard it. They, somebody also told me there was a donkey beside the lion. We are invited to join the passerbyers in asking questions. We are invited to drop our jaws and shock with them. News of the mysterious scene reached Bethel. 
News like this travels quickly. Soon, the old prophet heard the chatter. Verse 26. And when the prophet who had brought him from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. The only two who always obey in this chapter are the lion and the donkey. The lion and the donkey shame the bold prophet and the old prophet. If God's people will not obey him, he will make the rocks and hills call out and praise to him. He will be obeyed. He will be worshipped by his creation. The lion was God's agent. He obeyed perfectly. Kill the man, don't eat the body. Guard the man, don't maul the donkey. This story has a director, God himself, who sovereignly controls every detail of the narrative. This is all part of God's providential plan for getting word back to Bethel, back to the worship service attendees, back to the king. In his death, the bold prophet preached one final message. That God doesn't let sin slide. He takes it seriously. It wasn't just a meal. It was an assault on God. The body is put on display for Bethel and all Israel to see. The lion is not eating of its kill. Because unlike the man of God, the lion obeys to the very last detail. Verse 28. And he... That's the old prophet. Went and found his body thrown in the road and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. When the old prophet arrived, the lion was standing guard over the bold prophet's body. The old prophet stood in silence and in awe before God's dramatic intervention. Verse 29a. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey. Let's stop here. How did he do this? Nice kitty. Nice kitty. I'm just going to grab this arm right under your massive paw. And I'm going to start pulling. Okay, the body is moving. You just stay right there and watch. Verse 29b. And he brought the man back to the city to mourn and bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave. Notice this, the man of God lay in a borrowed tomb. He laid the body in his own grave and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, let's stop here for the funeral. Two pastors, one in the casket, one standing over it. The old prophet may have preached many funerals early on in his ministry, but none quite like this. What did he say? Before me is a man who died because I talked him into sinning. 
he lays here? Because of me. The old prophet does dignify the death of the bold prophet. He gives him a decent burial. Verse 31b. And he said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After the funeral, the old prophet changed his will. He gave funeral instructions to his two pagan boys. Bury me with this man. When one of your sins causes the death of another, you are suddenly awakened to the seriousness of your transgression. In this burial instruction, it seems the old prophet repented of his sin. Did he truly? There are a lot of answers the writer refuses to give us. Welcome to Hebrew narrative. We do know this old man's sons, they they will carry out the instructions. They will bury him in the same grave as the man of God. We know that because 300 years later, Josiah will come across the bones of the two men. Verse 33. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priest for the high places again among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priest in the high places, of the high places. And this thing became a sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. Church, very significant comment here. Even after this, eventually the news arrived to the palace. And perhaps the king rejoiced that the bold prophet was dead. This this whole event only intensified the king's apostasy. He persisted in evil. He repeated rather than repented. He didn't fear the lion. God's lion. He scoffed at it. How hard is his heart? He continues to transgress the law. Not even a string of miraculous events. His hand withering, his hand healed, the altar splitting, the lion killing the man of God, the lion refusing to eat the man of God. Not even after a string of miraculous events does it deter him from his pagan assault on God's holiness. If God would judge his own man of God, how much more would he judge the king? You want to just reach into the narrative and shake him And say, don't continue in this sin. Yet in spite of the warnings, in spite of hearing the story, he did not turn. He did not repent. He smiles while rebelliously flaunting his disobedience. There is hope for you as long as you do what Jeroboam did not do. Repent. This was lions and learning from narratives. Now lions and levels of application. Lions and learning from narratives. Now lions and levels of application. Here's the first level. The Christ level. The Christ level. The unnamed prophet who comes out of Judah. The bold prophet. He comes bringing a word from the Lord. He is faithful. Until he failed. Before his death, we found him riding on a donkey. 
This is not the only time we find a prophet from Judah riding on a donkey just before his death. Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday riding on a donkey. The bold prophet points us forward to the sinless prophet. Two men, both from Judah. Both men died, both men were buried, both men's deaths were predicted. The unnamed prophet and the prophet given a name above all names. Jesus Christ. He's a better prophet. He's the full and final prophet. He's the prophet this story longs for. This prophet too was tempted in a desert. It was hot. He was exhausted. He was hungry and thirsty. Yet when faced with temptation, he remained sinless. He doesn't lean against a tree. He dies on a tree. This prophet wasn't killed by a lion. No, no, no. In fact, he came as a lion to be killed for you. The lion of the tribe of Judah. After his death, he too was laid in the tomb of another man. The prophet in our story, his bones were still in the tomb 300 years later. Not so with the Christ. It was only three days before those bones walked out of the tomb. You know, lions don't stand by donkeys. Lions don't stand by lambs. Lions kill donkeys. Lions kill lambs. The only other place besides our text where we see a lion standing by a donkey or a lamb without killing it is in Revelation. When it talks about a new earth where animals will not kill each other. The only difference is there is no body laying between them then. That's because a body was laid down in Jerusalem. Jesus' wrecked, mauled body makes it possible for lions and donkeys to lay together on the new earth. In both cases, the, the bold prophet and the sinless prophet, with both of those, some people witness the death of the prophet and continue to sin. The death seemed to have no effect upon them. Will you be a Jeroboam? You hear of God's prophet dying and his death has no effect upon you? It doesn't move you to stop sinning. It doesn't move you to repentance. It doesn't move you to crush the golden calf. Non-Christian, if Christ's death on the cross doesn't move you, if his resurrection doesn't amaze you, if God's holiness doesn't break you, if you can sin in the presence of the one who called you to be holy, then you have a stony heart. And you need to pray that God will break it. Pray that God will make you repentant. Your sin caused Christ's death. Do not, like Jeroboam, go about as business as usual. You should fear the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do not scoff at him. Lions and levels of application, the Christ level, now the sin level. Friend, when you fall into sin, deep sin, you may think, there is no way out. I need to commit suicide. It's better to kill myself than have to face the repercussions of my sin. That's a lie Satan will whisper to you. He will whisper it over and over. Keep that sin hidden. If anyone finds out, your life is over. 
Dear one, it is never right to hide sin. Not from your spouse, not from your pastors, children, not from your parents. I don't know what your sin is. I do know your life is not over. There may be major consequences for your sin, but avoiding those is not worth hiding it. It's not worth having it go unconfessed. This is a mark of your perseverance. Will you persevere in confessing sin? You don't have to kill yourself because of your sin. Dear one, Jesus Christ was killed for your sin. Lions and levels of application, the Christ level, the sin level, the local church level. What do you do when the man of God falls? You know, this unnamed man of God was like a shepherd in Judah. He shepherded God's people. What do you do when your shepherd falls? What do you do when your pastor falls? There are pretenders behind the pulpit. They use and abuse God's word for their own gain. They will roast in hell. And it is no surprise when their hidden sin becomes evident. But that's not really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the true pastor who loves God but falls into sin. Steps into sin. In a moment of weakness, dives into sin. FFC, your pastors must obey the word they preach. They can't preach about not eating at the Bethel table and then go eat at the Bethel table. Their life must match their message. But my question to you is what happens when it doesn't? What happens when he is not faithful to the message he proclaims? This unnamed prophet was kind of like a missionary. He went to a foreign field where they looked at him funny. He fell into sin while obeying God's command. Hear me. The word of God stands even when God's preachers fail. If they fall, it should not make you fall. Your faith is not in them. It is in the word of God. You mourn for that disqualified brother, but you do not lose your faith. You do not lose your confidence in Christ and his claims. If one of your pastors falls and it shakes your faith, you may want to question if your faith was ever in Christ or if it was just in that man. You are preached to every week by fallible men. Fallible men resting in Christ's work. Fallible men who can be disqualified from the ministry. Church, pray for your pastors. Pray that they will not rest under an oak tree. Pray that they would not fall into sin. Pray for your pastors to overcome the sins they are battling. The very ones that could months, years down the road, lead to disqualification. We've looked at three levels. Let's look at the fourth. Lions and levels of application, the redemptive historical level. The prophet, the man of God, I want, you, I want you to look at me here. The prophet, the man of God, did not commit a huge sin. 
It wasn't adultery. It wasn't murder. It wasn't golden calf idolatry. The king had committed greater crimes and didn't face the same fate. Why so severe a punishment? Why the lion? We don't know. I would say that the king and the old prophet deserved a lion before the man of God did. But better to die by a lion here than face the lion after the grave. This entire story is an echo of another one. We must find where this story fits in God's redemptive history. This mill points both backward and forward. This man ruined his life with a mill. You know who else ruined their life with a mill? Adam. What happened here in Bethel also happened back there in Eden. Adam and Eve heard this temptation from the world's first false prophet, the serpent. And he said, come and eat. They did. And their act plunged them and us into sin. Adam sinned with a bite. It was a forbidden meal. It is no surprise when we come to our text in 1 Kings 13 to find another man doing the same. The first sinful meal resulted in many more sinful meals. In both stories, here in Kings and in the garden, the meal was interrupted with a voice from heaven. The meal in our text not only points backward, but it also points forward. In the garden, a false prophet stood at the table and said, Come and eat. That meal plunged Adam into sin and led to his death. In Bethel, a false prophet stood at a table and said, Come and eat. That meal plunged the man of God into sin and led to his death. Now, beloved, Jesus stands at a table. The second Adam, the full and final prophet. He is both the sinless Adam and the sinless prophet. And he says, come and eat. One meal plunged us into sin and one meal points us to the sinless one. A meal led to your death and a meal led to your salvation. Jesus' last supper redeems the bold prophet from his last supper. Every day you are presented with come and eat. Don't eat Satan's meal. Eat Jesus' meal. It is the Lord's Supper. And it is what we will prepare for now.